Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. How are we all? Fantastic. Happy Easter. Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. (laughs) Wonderful. All right. Looking forward to uh, sharing a message. Hope is alive in a few moments. But before we do that, uh, we're going to uh, hear from a couple of our youth. And uh, I don't know if you noticed on the wall in the foyer on the way in, there's a a cross. And uh, there's a whole lot of writing and some pictures and that kind of thing on there. And uh, our... uh, Youth leaders, Joel and Giselle, where are Joel and Giselle? Are they here or are they out sorting out kids? They're sorting out kids. But they're doing a phenomenal job with our youth. And uh, one of the exercises they got the youth to do was uh, to actually either draw or write down what Christ means to them personally. And so you can go and read and look at the pictures on the wall. Here's Joel. Why don't you give Joel and Giselle a hand? They're doing such a great job with our... Oh, here's Giselle as well. Wonderful, doing a great job with our youth and their own kids and everything else that they do. But um, so uh, a great exercise. And I, you know, when I, I saw and read some of the things that had been up there, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to uh, in this in this moment to uh, have a chat to a couple of the guys that have written something up there. So. Um, We're just going to use this moment to uh, receive our tithes and offerings as well. If you want to give into the life of the church, then uh, please feel free. You can prepare to do that. The details will be up on the screen. Or if you need a card, just put the hand up and the crew will get one to you. Uh, So you can do that. Um, Please feel free. But I'd like to invite uh, Zach and Isaac to come and join me. Why don't you welcome these guys as they come this morning? Wonderful. Zach's got his mum's mic. There's a... Uh, a mic for you. So uh, what I thought I'd get to do is uh, I'll get these guys to read out what they wrote and then I'm just going to ask them a question or two to share about um, in response to that. So Zach, do you want to go first? Read, Read what you wrote. In my life, God has helped me with many things. I pray for his help in tough times with friends and studies. When I pray, he responds and guides me to do the right thing. Church and the Bible encourage me and make me feel good. When I worry about the future and worrying situations, I try to look to the Bible, and when I do, things clear up and seem better. God is good, and Jesus helps me. Awesome. That's so good. I love your, I love your heart in that, Zach. So, so just tell me a little bit how, how Jesus helps you in, in the worry thing. Well, when I'm worried, I, I pray, and he seems to make me feel better about things, like for example, I just got braces recently this week and I was really worried that would hurt and I wouldn't be able to eat properly. But when I prayed, I felt fine about it. And when I did, it's fine. It's no big deal. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty personal, very real life kind of example, isn't it? Uh, Pastor Deb knows what it's like to have braces. She's got braces and she's nearly 60 and she's still got braces. <laughs> so are you able to eat okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So, how did how did did you just uh, just pray quietly, or how did you do that? How how did you go about that? Yeah. Well, um, whenever I'm worried, whenever I'm particularly worried about something, I just pray for help and that I feel better about it and not that worried. And yeah. so, yeah, right. just whenever, wherever, 
pray in my head. Beautiful. Oh, That's right, awesome. Yeah. So you're kind of in this attitude of continually praying. So. Good on you. That's awesome. I love your heart. Lo- love the depth that's coming out of that. Why don't you give Zach a hand for, for that? <laughs> Thank you. Isaac, do you want to read what you wrote? Sure. All right. Uh, the worst moment of my life was when my best friend committed suicide. After hearing this, I didn't know what to think. I didn't think about asking God for help at the time, as I felt like this was all a dream. Uh, when I did ask God for help, I instantly felt peace. The loss of my friend still hurt a lot, but it was now more manageable. Living with Jesus in my life helps to give me peace in the hardest of times. Wow. Yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty raw and pretty real out there. So uh, you've had to face death in your life a number of times, haven't you? Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, so tell us about that, like not only your friend, but personally as well. Yeah, so... It is very jarring for it to happen to, I'm sure, anyone. But, like, when it does happen, you don't really think about... Well, for me anyway, I don't really think about asking for God help, for his help in the immediate moment because I'm just in shock. But once I step, like, step aside, calm myself down a bit yeah. mentally, yeah. I have to think through it more rationally and go, all right. So I'm feeling pretty crap right now, so I need to yeah. step back, ask God for help to take yeah. care of this problem, yeah. it'll help me to right. help this to be more manageable yeah. and help me to right. give, get peace from that. So it's, not, it's less about an emotive response, it's actually more just a deep-seated thing inside of yeah. you. Yeah. And you've had a personal journey facing death yourself as a young man, haven't you? Yeah. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, in the case of like my best friend, obviously, because he committed suicide early last year, beginning of 2018. That obviously like, struck the friendship group pretty hard when right. that happened, some more than others. But for me, I found it like, to get easier to get through the grieving process, e- easier than others, I feel. Because mm. even now, like, of course, it'll still hurt now. Like, we'll mm. get memories and then we'll feel sad yeah. some days. But uh, I was able to reach out to God and get through that grieving process much faster so then I was yeah. able to help along, yeah. help my other friends who were going right. through a harder time from that, right. from that grieving stage. Because as a young, young lad, you uh, had some health challenges yourself, didn't you? Can you yeah. tell us about that? So there's cancer and diabetes, those two. Yeah. Um, those were the, uh, those are like yeah, a good warm-up stage, I guess, for, st- <laughs> for stress, really. <laughs> Like, I've, right. been, I've been managing those things for a little while now, so right. I feel like reaching out to God is just something I just do naturally now, yeah. easy coming yeah. from all those challenges. I've been able to build up my yeah. faith from yeah. those two right. stressful moments to, yeah. I feel like it's been a good yeah. calling, so I'd be able to help my friends out more yeah. from building myself up Beautiful. when I have this next yeah. major stress or trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope there's no more major ones. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> hey, you, you won a judo tournament recently, didn't you? <laughs> like last year or the year before, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Well, you're pretty good at throwing people around, is that right? <laughs> I'll say decent. Matt would probably say otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I love hearing the heart of both of you young guys. And uh, so keep walking with God, keep praying for him in those worrying moments and those 
fearful moments. But uh, why don't you give these young guys a, a hand this morning? Thanks very much. You can grab a seat. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you. All right, I might just uh, get the pulpit up here if we could and maybe move these seats unless anybody else wants to come and have a chat. Like, uh, <clears throat> I love, uh, love their heart and the depth of, you know, it's, it's, it takes a, uh, thanks, I'll let you take that, that mic. You know, as a, it takes a family to raise kids and to, for kids to grow up knowing what it is to walk with God knowing what it is to overcome the challenges of life that throws up at us and all that kind of thing. We need to um, create an environment where we can help each other do that well. So, so thanks, Joel and Giselle, for investing in the next generation, which is really what we're all about, investing in the next generation and creating a sustainable legacy. Because today we're celebrating 2,000 years since Christ rose from the dead, but uh, it's as real and as powerful now as it was then. <clears throat> We shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, the buckets are going to come round. I'm just going to pray over our offering as we receive that this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Thank you. You touch, touch lives, young and old, but you make a difference in every life that you touch. Father, we exist as a church to see our community one for Jesus, to see Canberra change, to see an impact made in Australia and see the world touched with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray, as we are obedient in our giving, in our sacrificial offering and love before you with practical things, Lord, that you would enable us, just as you have Zach and Isaac, to walk the walk, to talk the talk, and to live the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Beautiful. Um, I was thinking... Uh, Growing up, like, well, I, I was an adult, I had four kids, so when my kids were growing up, Deb and I, we had four children, and we had some interesting experiences with pets along the way. So we had, um, we had a, a cockatiel that was named Baggio, Baggio, after a famous soccer player, Nathan, our eldest son at the time, uh, thought that that would be a, a good thing to do, to name the cockatiel Baggio, so he did, and um, sadly one day... Uh, Baggio flew the coop and um, we never saw Baggio again. The problem with that was that it was me that had left the cage open. Uh, so that wasn't good. Um, we had another situation where we, we lived on acreage in Corumban Valley and we had uh, bantams. And uh, so that the, uh, Deb went away on a women's conference for the weekend. So one of my jobs, I was looking after the kids as well as the bantams. And uh, one of my jobs was to close the bantam cage, the chickens. And, um, and, uh, but there was some distractions that happened that weekend and I had to go and play soccer. And I had to look after, had to look after the kids as well. Uh, and sadly... Um, we came back, and uh, after leaving the cage open, all that was left were feathers and one rooster. And uh, what we thought we would do is call the rooster Hope, because Hope was alive. Um, none of the bantams were... No, that's, I just made that up there and then. I'm trying to cover my, my indiscretions. <clears throat> but then there was, this one wasn't... The next one wasn't my fault. It's the story of Snowy. Snowy was a white rabbit, and uh, 
He was our youngest son, Josh's white rabbit. And uh, Deb was having a cup of tea sitting at our dining room table that overlooked the pool one day and with a friend and uh, having a cup, cup of tea. And uh, the friend said, looking out on the pool, I didn't know rabbits could swim. And <laughs> Deb said, I don't think they can, and raced out and scooped up Snowy from the bottom of the pool with the pool net, put him on the side and started doing CPR <laughs> on Snowy the rabbit. But see, the moral of that story is, at Easter time, the rabbit is dead. But Jesus isn't. Jesus is alive. Easter Sunday, it's about, I say, death to death. Um, Long live life, and that's the focus of the story. <laughs> the, and it was very traumatic. Our family, our kids suffered ma many traumas growing up, and that was three of them. But anyway, the reason Jesus came was to defeat death. Death to death, long live life, uh, and John, Jesus himself said he came for this reason, that he, and for this hour and for this purpose, he came that uh, death would be defeated. And rem Easter reminds us that hope is alive. Hopelessness is often described, or in the dictionary is described, as despair. Despair may be uh, desperation, distress, anguish, pain, unhappiness, dejection, Depression, despondency, misery, disheartenment, discouragement, defeatism, pessimism. The voice of hopelessness is a relentless whisper into our hearts and it doesn't let go. And it says it's never going to get any better. From this one whisper, the list goes on. And sometimes that whisper can sound like a really loud voice that we're never going to get, this is never going to get better, we're never going to get over it. The number of lies that can attach itself to this untruth is endless. And before we realize it, we can feel powerless in areas of our own lives. There is a battle to keep hope alive in our hearts. Psalm 71, 14 and 15 says this. But I will keep hope alive and my praise to you will grow exponentially. I will bear witness to your merciful acts Throughout the day, I will speak of all the ways you deliver, although I admit I do not know the entirety of either. I love this declaration that the psalmist is making, that I will keep hope alive. I invite you, in fact, I challenge you today to keep hope alive in your heart, because when you do, you will grow exponentially. It talks about this, the, the fact that keeping hope alive in our hearts will cause us to grow. One of our challenges, one of our mantras, if you like, for this year is to grow up in every way in Christ. And the, one of the ways that we can do that is to keep hope alive in our heart. The enemy wants to rip hope away. The enemy wants to discourage us and and tell us the lie that hope is not alive. But hope is alive and will cause us to continue to grow. And I think that, uh, that you know, that's where the battleground is, is fought. What are the obstacles to keeping hope alive? 
I want to read an account out of Mark chapter 16 of uh, the resurrection morning and, and what happened at that time and in that place. Maybe familiar story to many of us, often spoken at Easter Sundays and these kind of occasions. But I want us to just draw something out of this as we read it together this morning. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told to the rest, but they did not believe them either. And later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. What are the obstacles to keeping faith, to keeping hope alive in our hearts? Number one, this scripture teaches us that disobedience the angel that they saw told them to go and tell everybody else, but they didn't. They were too afraid and they were disobedient. So disobedience and fear keeps them, keeps us from keeping hope alive in our hearts. Disobedience and fear. I think self-centeredness can keep us from keeping hope alive as well. I read this statement recently by Christine Kane. She says, sometimes when you're in a dark place... You think you've been buried, but you're actually just being planted. I just wonder if we look at life slightly differently than the way we think that we should, that hope can stay alive in our heart. You might be in a dark place, but you are not dead and buried. You are being planted for a greater purpose. Dead ends, rejections, bewilderments, snubs, betrayals, abandonments, unanswered questions, wrong turns due to poor choices are all obstacles to keeping hope alive. But the darkness is not a burial, it is a planting that God can bring to life. Another thing that we read in this portion of scripture with these guys is that unbelief keeps them from keeping hope alive. Their experience didn't match their expectation. Their experience of, of Jesus as the triumphant king didn't match their expectation of their, what they experienced with the death and resurrection did not match their expectation of what the triumphant king was going to bring. And so unbelief was seeded in their heart and it kept them from keeping hope alive in their hearts. 
And it talks about also a hardness of heart. I think cynicism is one of the scourges of the age where we allow um, uh, this inclination towards thinking that everybody is just self-serving in their interests and in life. And there's a cynicism that, uh, that comes and that keeps, that stops hope from keeping alive in our hearts. These are the obstacles Disobedience, fear, self-centeredness, unbelief and hardness of heart. I want to encourage you today to move in the opposite spirit of each and every one of those things. Be obedient to what God challenges you with. Let faith rise in the place of fear. Be God-centered, not self-centered. Don't let unbelief dictate or determine your choices. And don't let hardness of heart change what you know is breathed in you by God. So what, those are the things that, keep, that can keep hope from being alive in our hearts. What then, what is the hope that we are keeping alive? Because this group of disciples and believers at the time, their hope had died because they didn't understand what was going on. In Colossians 1.27 it says this, Living with you, is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. Living with you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. Floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure, a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know it. You have been flooded and is embedded in you this incredible expectation of glory. That is the hope that we need to keep alive. This expectation of glory. It's a mystery sometimes what, how it works and what it's all about. But it's embedded within us. It's embedded. It's not a virus that's embedded. It's, it's a hope, an expectation that is embedded. It's the riches of glory. They're indescribable and they're embedded deep down in us. So even at times when we think, I just don't want to believe this God thing anymore. Embedded in there is this, this hope that will not die. This hope that will not die. The thing about this, the hope we're keeping alive, it's a hope for there, not here. We're hoping not for the world that we live in, but we're hoping towards a future, the heavenly kingdom. Our present circumstances don't determine our hope. Our hope is for there, not here. So because of our hope in the heavenly places, we are able to overcome the circumstances of the present. Our hope is for the future and not for now. Our present experiences don't determine our hope. Whatever's happening in our world now doesn't diminish the hope that is within us, that is embedded within us. So this is the hope that we are keeping alive. This Christ in us is no emotional sentiment. It is a power of resurrection. It is a power that defeats death. It is a power that causes life to come alive inside of you and I. This is not a notional sentiment. It is a power that is embedded in you. And so sometimes it's harder to repress that power than actually go with it and allow him to have his way in us. He, came, he overcame the worst that humanity has to, hof, to, to offer. There is no suffering, no injustice, no prejudice, no cruelty, no adversity that Jesus didn't unflinchingly, courageously overcome. 
There is nothing that has come your way that he hasn't overcome at the cross. Death to death. Life is alive. This is the hope in us. This is the hope that's keeping us alive. The Jesus who was killed by the people who didn't want God in their lives is raised from death by God to be their God. They're trying to kill God. They don't want God. And yet God comes alive and becomes their God. This is the hope that is in us. This is the hope that is in us. The cross of Jesus that looked for all intents and purposes to be the picture of abject failure, defeat and humiliation has now become the resurrection fulcrum, the pivot point from being occupied with ourselves to paying attention to the God who is occupied with us. And so it becomes, this is the hope that is alive in us. God is more interested in us than we are in us. And believes more in us than we do in us. And so that becomes the pivot point of the resurrection. It changes our perspective on what he sees in us. And this is the hope that is in us. That's the hope that we're keeping alive. So number one, scripture tells us to keep hope alive. Keep this hope alive. And the, thought, the third thought is that when we keep hope alive, hope keeps us alive. It flips it turns right around. The shift is from keeping hope alive to hope keeping us alive. And that becomes the flip that happens on Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection turns the tables. No longer am I doing something for God. God is doing something for me. And maybe you need the tables turned in your life that you, you change from thinking you are doing something for God and just accept what God has done for you. It's not a religious outworking. It's a gracious receiving that we actually embrace. Let's have a look at Mark 16, the couple of verses on from that portion that we read before. Mark 16, verses 14 and 15. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. Good Friday, we looked at some of the tables that we can sit at. But here's a table that these guys are sitting at. They've walked with Jesus for three years. They've, they're suffering and trying to come to terms with the grief that is in their life. And Jesus sits at the table with them and rebukes their unbelief and hardness of heart. Are you and I sitting at a table with unbelief and hardness of heart? Because that needs to change. It needs to shift. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they did not believe those who had seen him and after that had risen. And it goes on to say, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There is this sense that hope keeps us alive. Because now all of a sudden we've been empowered to do something that in our own strength we cannot do. But if we're sitting at the table of hard hearts and unbelief, and if we're feeding the cynicism that this world so much wants to shape our thinking, then we need to shift it around so that hope keeps us alive. We're no longer keeping hope alive. One of the early church fathers, Arrhenius, famously wrote, The glory of God is a person fully alive. If you and I are fully alive, if you and I have hope coursing through our veins, embedded in our soul, then we are fully alive. 
We are never more alive than when we realize we have been entrusted by God to communicate the message that hope is alive. We are never more alive than that. We saw that in this scripture, that Jesus, even in the midst, he's sitting at the table of unbelief, sitting at the table of hard-heartedness, and he says to them, go out and preach the good news. Go out and preach the gospel. It's almost like he's sort of saying, what's the hell wrong with you guys? Just get out there and take the message out. Hope is alive. Hope is alive. Hope is alive. Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, The death of Jesus on the cross can be easily accounted for on a physical and a historical level. But the salvation Jesus accomplished on the cross cannot be. And it's this, and it is this accomplished salvation, not a coroner's autopsy of the death, that brings us back to the cross over and over and over again. It's not the historical evidence. It's not the, all of those sorts of things. It's, it's the intangible thing that happens in our heart at the moment of salvation that keeps us alive, that keeps hope alive. Hope keeps us alive when we are obedient, when we step out in faith and we point people to Christ. That's when hope keeps us alive. As those doubting, cynical, hard-hearted, unbelieving disciples are sitting at the table with Jesus, he says, go out there, be obedient, step out in faith, preach the gospel. And they do it and somehow or other, here we are, 2,000 years later, because hope is alive, because hope is alive. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, the Easter resurrection is a dividing point between consumer religion and a gracious gospel. This is the event that separates us into two groups, the people who want God to give them something and the people who find out what God wants to give to them. It's such a shift. It's such a change. The people who want to get some meaning in their lives by running a few errands for God in contrast to the people who are willing to let God work his salvation in them. The people who come to church to tell God what he must do to improve their living conditions, in contrast to the people who come to church to let God tell them how to live in love and faith and hope. Perspective shifts when hope is alive. We are no longer... Tending to a dead Jesus, the alive Jesus is commanding a new life in you and in me. This is hope alive in us. Let's just bow our heads. Hope is alive. Maybe the challenge for you this morning is to keep hope alive. Maybe the challenge for you this morning is to recognize that hope is alive. I don't know where you are at. In your walk with God today. But I pray in the sacredness of this moment. Holy Spirit visit our hearts. Lord that, let that embedded reality. That embedded mystery. Let that embedded hope. Be the thing. That motivates and drives us into the future. Help us respond. Even when we don't understand. How it's all going to work. Help us respond. Thank you, God, 
that as we keep hope alive in our hearts, hope keeps us alive moving forward. God, I ask, when we've been hard-hearted and unbelieving, when we've allowed doubt to shape our decisions, when we've allowed insecurity and fear and judgment and lukewarmness to dampen our enthusiasm, God, we ask your forgiveness today. When we realize that the resurrection power available to us on this moment of time and history, so many centuries beyond when it first outworked on that Easter Sunday, I pray that that same power would come alive afresh today in us. I thank you, God, the same power that brought me alive in 1976 on Easter Sunday would bring people alive today, 2019, Easter Sunday. I thank you, God, that that power, that hope is at work in us. I thank you, God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And even though historically they've not been able to disprove the resurrection, they've tried and tried over millennia, still can't disprove it because it happened. But what about the resurrection in your heart? What about the resurrection in your spirit? Are you alive today? Are you alive to the presence of God, to the hope that is in you? I want to, in a moment, extend to you an invitation. It's stronger than that. It's more than an invitation. It's an exhortation to give your life to Jesus this Easter Sunday. Because I know if you do, your life will never be the same again. I know that a hope will come alive to you today if you make this decision. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand if you know that that's what Jesus wants to do in your life, to bring hope alive, to bring hope alive. Maybe for the first time, maybe, maybe hope is just kind of, it feels like it's just all drained out of you and you need a reconnection. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to invite you to stay in your seat, but we're all going to pray a prayer together. But I want you to make a decision. I want you to make a decision today. Because this Sunday that we're celebrating historically is actually cost Jesus everything. And the power that was then is here now. So if you know you want hope alive in your heart for the first time or re refreshed in your heart this morning, just raise your hand where you're sitting so that I can see it. Who needs to make that decision today for hope to come alive in your heart? Who needs to make that decision today? Just raise your hand so I can see it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, right now, will you, will you stand with me, church? Let's stand and pray. Father, I pray we stand this Easter Sunday, the pivot point of resurrection, where we shift from feeling like we have to go and rescue Jesus from the grave and do all of the things that the disciples thought they had to do. Do all the things that we think we have to do to God, for God. Let that pivot to realizing that God is wanting to do a whole lot of things in us and in our life and in our world. Let us open our hearts 
to what He wants to do. Let us open our hearts to the change that He wants to bring, to faith that He wants to rise in our hearts and lives. Let us open our hearts to the newness of what He is doing in and through us. Thank you, God. I pray your blessing over each and every person here today. That we would continue to allow hope to keep us alive as we, as we strive to keep hope alive in our hearts, God. That we would grow exponentially. We would sit at the table, not of disobedience and unbelief, but of awe and wonder and reverence and surrender and obedience and faith and allow you to have your way in us, God. Changed from this moment on, never the same again. Father, we thank you for that extraordinary power at work in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a glorious clap offering today. Thank you, God. 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 Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.